August 1989, just a week before the school year started, and I was smack dab in the middle of football's hell week, two-a-days, padded practices so brutal in the upper Midwest heat and stifling humidity that most kids retreat to their air-conditioned homes in cold showers for those few useless hours between sessions, but not me. I was absolutely infatuated with a new single in heavy rotation on MTV, Bobby Brown's Rock With You, and I just had to get it. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Neil, Rock With You was on his 1988 album, Don't Be Cruel. Surely you already had that cassette, and you'd be correct. But on August 15th, 1989, MTV did something unthinkable, something that would forever change my preference in pop music. MTV debuted a new video for the fifth single off that album, but it wasn't the album cut of the song. It was a remix, and it was better. So with aching legs and dripping with sweat and exhaustion, I pedaled my 10-speed down to our safe haven and second home, Record Revolution. They had Don't Be Cruel, the album, but no singles. And when I asked about the remix, the grumpy old long-haired mustache guy behind the counter stared at me as if I just asked him for help with my trigonometry homework. Not to be deterred, I sped across the street to the newer, younger, and hipper version of the college record store, Downtown Discs. And there I struck gold. The hippie chick with the Grateful Dead t-shirt told me that she loved the new song too, the new version, and that they had the cassette single, remix version. But more importantly, she said that Bobby was also releasing a full remix album coming up in October, just two months away. A remix album, I thought? Of all the songs I already had? What if they were all better? I would have to check that out. But in the meantime, she also told me to check out Bobby's former group, New Edition. My immediate reaction was one of kind of disgust and dismay. Aren't they a kiddie pop group? She laughed and said they hadn't been that for a long time. Their last two releases were the soulful and very adult R&B album, Heartbreak. And before that, they did an album of 50s and 60s doo-wop covers called Under the Blue Moon. Now, maybe it was because I was into oldies that year, listening almost exclusively to 60s frat rock and Motown. Or maybe it was because she was a super cute older college chick. But I picked up both cassettes she recommended, as well as the remix single, popped it into my Sony Walkman and rode home. After practice that night, I listened to the other albums, and my love for this supergroup was cemented. Or more specifically, this new sound. New Edition's album was sexy and smooth, produced by some young upstarts named Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, along with Prince protege Jellybean Johnson, who you may know from Morris Day in the Time. And Bobby Brown's was the same, albeit a little more danceable, produced by some guy named L.A. Reid and Babyface, and later Teddy Riley. This was no R&B that I'd heard before. This was some weird new hybrid rap and dance. Dare I say it was hip-hop, smoothed out, on the R&B tip, with a pop feel appeal to it. And this was just the beginning. Over the next half decade, the six members of New Edition, 
Ralph Tresvant, Bobby Brown, Michael Bivens, Ricky Bell, Ronnie DeVoe, and Johnny Gill would not only dominate my rotating CD carousel, but also influence my wardrobe and style choices. Each would go on to arguably more successful careers post-New Edition, but what they established as inner-city Boston kids from the outset is what keeps fans on the edge of their seats every time there's even a whisper about a possible reunion. And that's what we're here to discuss today, folks. The formation, impact, and legacy of New Edition and their incredibly profitable family tree. If you haven't already guessed, I'm Neil Daly, and joining me tonight is my partner in crime, my superhero sidekick, the orco to my He-Man, my brother Ryan. What's happening, bro? Yo, yo, yo. What's up? What's up? <laughs> what's going on? So, all right. So normally, normally you take the lead on these type of shows and everything, and I'm happy to have you do it. But my story, I just had to get this out there. This, is, this was the introduction that kind of spawned a whole, this branched off in all kinds of things. And as we go tonight, as we discuss, I'll talk about the impact of remixes. And Belbiv DeVoe did a remix album that I thought was better than their original album and all this stuff. And BET started circulating remix videos that weren't on the the albums which made me essentially have to buy everything twice but <laughs> what how and when did you discover new edition what brought you to this place i i'm sure i discovered them through you and just hearing them <laughs> secondhand because you would have been playing them a lot and that's where if it wasn't dad it was you that i was hearing all the music from and being younger at that time I mean, we, we've talked on past episodes like the the record rev from 1993 and uh, our, you know, in particular, our Pearl Jam episode, you know, the grunge rock sound became my dominant music experience right. for a big chunk of the 90s, you know, yeah. like starting right around, you know, 92, 93 and going forward. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, though, in terms of popular music, I mean, I, w- I was always hearing whatever dad was playing, but I... I also knew that that was of not my generation. It was his music. Mm-hmm. What was popular and contemporary then, I mean, you couldn't get bigger than Michael Jackson at that time. True. So I just remember the late 80s and 90s, you know, listening to, you know, Thriller a lot and um, Bad and then Dangerous and how big Dangerous was. And I do mm-hmm. remember when that album came out, just feeling like there was this sound that was just kind of like prevalent that wasn't just it wasn't the old Motown dance. It was a new kind. It was a new sort of production laced with more drum tracks, like a Mm -hmm. sort of synthesized, polished sound. And that just, it was, it was fun. And just, it was the music that we would either play basketball to, or it was the music that I would work out to. um, Or just if I was in the basement and I just wanted to dance with no one else, (laughs) I would just move. Cause it was, it was a, a new incarnation of the Motown sound that we love of that R and B. It was, it was new R and B in a lot of ways. Um, but once it incorporated the new Jack swing element, yes, which we'll get to uh-huh. that. I just, I really, really liked on um, these aren't artists or, or songs that I've necessarily done a lot of research on or really embellished. It is more of just a physiological thing. When I hear some of these sounds, it just, it moves me. This, that R and B sound, that hip hop, that swing sound that Mm -hmm. just, there's something about it. It just gets into my, my shoulders and my body. And I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. It, It's, it's, it's like a chemical thing that's, you know, there might not be a, a lot of, pathos and tragedy in the <laughs> lyrics or something that I connect to. It might not be like a, a bluesy bar, like a Tom Waits thing. It is something wholly other, something that 
I don't know if many people would associate me with this particular music, but it's just something I, I groove to it. I play it in the car. I play it for my kid and it's, it's fun. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you explained it that way. Cause that's, I couldn't have said it better myself. We talked, you're right. We did mention this on the 93 record rev podcast that we did before. And I was able to juggle my two dominating influences at the same time and split time equally between what was started out as hip hop. And then kind of, you know, we mentioned Tupac and Ice Cube and Naughty by Nature and those guys that all came out with albums. And then also grunge at the same time, I was able to juggle the both. Now, in the early 90s, you got to remember what was I was very, very surrounded by African-American culture. I was at NIU. I was playing on the football team. My four best friends were African-Americans and we hung out religiously together and we went to clubs and we danced. So that was, that was a thing that we did. So that was where, and I'll get way into this stuff as we start to go into the individual songs that we're going to talk about. But I think for me, you, you mentioned it yourself. The new Jack swing was the crossover that connected me to pop because before that I liked hip hop. I liked rap and there was some up-tempo rap tunes, but aside from MC Hammer, there was nobody. You didn't dance to a rap song. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you. It's not like you couldn't. You couldn't dress like NWA and go out and dance at a club <laughs> without looking like a moron. So it was, you know, and of course, Vanilla Ice has its own pocket in history that we're not even going to get into. But I think, you know, and we'll get into the stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to wrap this up right here. But when Bobby Brown brought rap into the third verse of his songs, you know, it would go, it would sing chorus, sing chorus, rap, and then final chorus. I, I was hooked then into the singing aspect of R&B. Then I, I was brought back to, I'm like, this is brand new. This is a hybrid. This is something unreal. And it connects the dots for all the things I like. And we'll get into it. You know, I can't wait to talk about some of this stuff. But then you mentioned, you know, I, again, we also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this also coincided with the Chicago Bulls dominance at the time. And we've talked about that on another podcast. You know, you mentioned that this is, this was the soundtrack to us in our sports life at the time as well yeah you know the the bulls anthems you know you go to a stadium game which we did and they would be playing all these dance tracks these these new jack swing tracks and all this stuff there was a lot of that and we were influenced by you know then there was the the house party culture which you know all these this new jack swing was all around and it was fun and it was it was it was great and then some of the r&b i, I gotta be honest with you there's some of the sexiest songs i've ever heard in my life are r&b tracks by these guys that we're going to talk about oh yeah so, yeah all right, so let's I mean, dive in. Yeah, I mean, even going going into the like the mid '90s, I remember you know you you were you were able to uh, like have your fingers in both pies with like the grunge rock and the hip hop yeah. and gangster rap and everything. You were diverse enough in your taste that you liked both at the same time. I didn't. I picked one lane and I stayed in it pretty pretty thoroughly for the longest time. I got into rap later on, but being a kid you know, watching MTV before school and, and hearing all the other stuff. A lot of those songs that I did like in like they during the mid nineties were R and B songs, a lot of them by female artists like TLC or Salt oh, sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Janet Jackson, which we talked a little bit about on a previous episode. So those were still like, I mean, I, I could, I would still get into those jams and feel those songs and like just the sexiness of them. And, and yeah, and we'll, we'll, yeah, again, we'll get into those. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, uh, real quick, before we move into this podcast, though, I thank you for pointing out there were some phenomenal female artists that came out of the same genre, too, at the same time. People like Aaliyah was mm-hmm. one of my was my favorites. You know, uh, TLC, you mentioned Debrat. There were there were some really powerful MC Light. There were some there were some good females, too, that deserve their kudos because they helped shape the industry as well with 
this dance rap hybrid thing. So, all right. So all that being said, let's dive into this podcast. Let's talk about new edition and all spinoffs and variations of what we would call new edition. Ryan, I'll let you take the lead. What's your, what's your, what's the first song you want to talk about? All right. My first selection, going back to when they were still very much kids, the second single from New Edition's first album, the song, Is This the End? song from their album candy girl and i i mean i am i am positive that the first time i heard this song as well as candy girl which is another great single for yeah. this album, oh yeah i am positive the first time i heard these songs i thought it was the jackson five <laughs> yeah and and i'm sure i thought it but i mean it sounded a little bit different i mean the vocals sounded really a lot like the Jackson five. It sounded like I was listening to Michael and his brothers, uh, but like there was something a little bit upbeat, a little bit positive. And, and I, I, maybe I had heard you like use the term or something talking about, but I was like, is this a remix or something? Did they like do like a new production of this? I was like, this can't like, is, does Michael Jackson have kids? <laughs> I was like, who, who is this? And, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I probably, and, and like you, I would have heard this after they had all grown up. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure it was probably in. Maybe yeah. This had like, to be, yeah. I want to say 85, 80, 80. Yeah, but, uh, but I'm sure I didn't, I did probably didn't hear them until late eighties, maybe even early nineties. So, but yeah, I, I just remember, just thinking like this song, I was like, wow, this is a great un- untapped Michael Jackson song or Jackson 5 song. And, <laughs> right. and I would listen to this one and just assume it's like, yeah, it sounds just like, um, you know, ABC or I'll Be There. You know, it yeah. could have stood up those. And I, I don't know enough. Like, I know that the group New Edition, like they, they sort of like won this talent show when they were kids. And that's mm-hmm. how they kind of came together and did this tour. And the producer slash tour manager, who was the same guy who would eventually put together the New Kids on the Block, he kind of star yeah he screwed them over um like yeah, took advantage bad. of their youth and their naivete basically took them all on tour and then when they were done kicked them off the bus with basically two dollars for each one yeah um, it was like it was honestly like a buck 60 yeah like honestly got no exaggeration folks listening every every band member got a dollar 60 at the end of the tour and it was said that all their winnings all their proceeds went to the the, the expenses so yeah that's not a joke and I'm sure he treated New Kids on the Block the exact same way. I'm sure there wasn't anything, anything oh, yeah. about that that experience. So, oh yeah, yeah. I, I nothing else other than it's just like I I love this sound. I love like how well, who we'll get to like later. I I couldn't identify these guys based on their kids. I'm like when I would hear Ralph Tresvant like later on singing songs, I didn't know he was the kid on this song or something like that. Right, like, right. Like I I backfilled later on for some of these guys 
up to and including when we were prepping for the show. I didn't know all of these guys had been in the audition. I didn't know their names. I knew Bobby Brown and I knew somebody from Biv DeVoe. I didn't know three of them. I didn't know. Oh man, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, here's before we move on, I'm just curious because there's a lot of songs that you could have picked off this first album. And I'm kind of, you know, there's some of the more popular ones, the, the name of the album specifically. I'm curious, do you remember how you heard this song? If if it wasn't you playing it, I don't, it could have been. It very well could have been. I'm I, I'm sure it would have had to be that. Then it was probably. I mean, I don't I don't know when it would have been, um, or if it was on like the radio or something else like that. But I just I just remember hearing this song in particular and Candy Girl and probably others from the album. I don't I don't remember, um, and thinking at first that it was Jackson Five. And I love Candy Girl, and I remember. I mean that like that is that's been a more popular song that's appeared appeared in like other movies and things like that. Like. I think um, in the Kevin Smith movie Dogma, Salma Hayek does a striptease to Candy Girl. Um, <laughs> but I, I always like this one. It's just like a slow ballad. It, it really it reminded me of I'll Be There. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that too because it's. I feel like this song was kind of stolen from I'll Be There. And if you fast forward to Maury Starr's next group, The New Kids on the Block, Please Don't Go Girl is almost stolen exactly from this song. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. it's, they're, they're, they're complete carving copies of each other. I think that theme might come back again later on in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. Well, great song choice. Way to, way to open the show with the, the first, with the off their initial original album. Uh, the first song I'm going to talk about, and uh, for reasons, you know, we've already talked about how Bobby Brown, you know, influenced me and led me down the path to rediscover New Edition. I'm going to go with the first single off of the next Bobby Brown album, Humpin' Around. And Bobby was probably the biggest well-known star to ever break from New Edition. I mean, Bell Biv DeVoe had their heyday, don't get me wrong. But I think Bobby Brown, if I had to guess, I think he's probably the most well-known of the, the artists. Not necessarily, I do believe he was the most successful financially as well. And then, of course, marrying Whitney Houston had a lot to do with that too. But um, he he was the bad boy. And I think that, that that followed him around and made him popular. Whether it was good PR or bad PR, it's still PR. You know, that's, that's a Dennis Rodman kind of quote. So <laughs> as a matter of fact, you kind of touched on it. I, I'd be hard pressed to think everybody else could name all of them. <laughs> you know, I, I think most people probably can't, except for the fact that they name themselves in songs. But, <laughs> but Bobby Brown, this was this was where Bobby Brown kind of established a reputation during the "Don't Be Cruel" tour. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the video for Roni, where he like dragged a girl up out of the audience and like kind of dry humped her on stage, and that kind of got people up in arms they wanted to ban the video and stuff like that but he was he was a bad boy he really was Mm -hmm. and this um this song then was written in reaction to you know him being accused whoever he was dating at the time i don't know but you know about 
fooling around on tour and stuff like that. And he said he wasn't and blah, blah. He just had this reputation. But anyway, this had, this was a, a, a great hit. It was a, it was a bombastic dance track. It was all over the place. It was a huge single from his next album, Bobby. And the reason I mentioned the song and I wanted to lead my list off with it is because this was the very first CD I bought in California. Hmm. after i had moved yeah yeah i actually remember it i was living in larry woods and maria woods's <laughs> house <laughs> i moved in with rented a room from them for like three months and you know i had a boom box <laughs> which i brought with me and my cd collection and i i went out to like i think god i want to say it was a sam goody or something like that which kids today probably have no idea what that was but i remember i bought bobby and that was the first CD I got, which, by the way, it was loaded with good tracks. It was a very underrated CD, and I'll, I'll, I'm not going to go too deep into it. You know, it didn't sell as well as Don't Be Cruel did. So a lot of people kind of looked at it as like, oh, well, Bobby, his prime's over. This album wasn't as good, but it's sophomore slump or whatever. Which, by the way, Don't Be Cruel was actually his second album, so this would have been not his sophomore slump. But anyway, long story short, it was a really good album. It was underrated. He did a duet with Whitney before they got together. There were a lot of good tracks. There were a lot of sexy tracks. But this song, and with when he brings his boy Styles in to do the rap at the end, um, I, I just I just love it. It's it's mm-hmm. as simple as that. And I'll always have that connection to it being the first thing I bought in California. I don't know if I knew what the word controversy meant when I heard the song. But I, I felt like I knew. I, I remember this being a single, and I remember probably like hearing this on the radio. You know, separated from you, obviously you would have been, you would have moved out. Um, so you were gone. So I was hearing this kind of on my own, and I just remember the fact that he was saying "humpin'," <laughs> like mm-hmm. that was the name of the song. Yeah. Ooh, like he's not just talking about sex and making love, <laughs> but he's calling it humping, like for like a kid that seems so kind of dirty and kind of silly to say it that way. But also, I was like, so he's like, he's obviously talking about this, and and should I be listening to this? Is mom gonna get mad if she used me like this and everything? Of course she wouldn't. But um, so yeah, I just remember he and and knowing, and we'll come back to this, knowing of his sort of bad boy reputation and and seeing this, like he was a sort of controversial figure and. For listeners, we'll put this out. I mean, we're going to be talking about his music through this. I mean, <laughs> Bob, Bobby Brown has had some well-publicized problems. Yes. Uh, and and his, his very abusive and damaging marriage with Whitney Houston financially, physically, emotionally. We're not condoning any of that. All of no, that shit is no, terrible. No, absolutely. We're strictly talking about the music, and in this yeah. case, uh, yeah. And in all fairness, almost every time New Edition tried to reconvene and do a reunion, Bobby Brown's the reason it failed. So, <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I'm going to say, though, um, which I really find interesting about that is if you listen, if you, it, Bobby Brown being as successful as he is, is kind of an anomaly to the rule. Because Bobby Brown wasn't the lead singer of New Edition. Ralph Tresvant was. Mm-hmm. And if you look in, if you take pop cultural boy bands and look at who usually breaks out and is the success, Justin Timberlake was the lead singer of NSYNC. He was the most successful. Nick Lachey, the lead singer of 98 Degrees. He was successful. Uh, God, Jordan Knight. I mean, he had a solo career after the new kid. Like in general, for the most part, I want to say the lead singers of the groups usually break off and become more famous. Bobby Brown was more popular than Ralph was. Yeah. I I was going to say with the new kids thing, I mean, Donnie Wahlberg is an exception in himself because he didn't become more successful through his music career. True. 
Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, and if you if you want to actually judge him by his music career, he's the re- he he produced he founded and produced all of Marky Mark's albums. Yeah, yeah. So Ryan, what do you got for next? What's next up? All right, next up, uh, I'm gonna drop one of the songs that's for my money. I think is the most popular song that we're gonna be talking about in this one, uh, and it is the song "Poison" by Bel Biv DeVoe. Girl, I must warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. Yo, situation is let's cure it because we run out of time. assume and, and i don't know numbers or sales charts or anything like that but i would assume that this is the biggest hit of the new jack swing that sort of dance sound probably in terms of just playability this has been featured in a ton of movies and tv shows i'm, pro- I'm sure the first time i heard it was in a movie or a tv show and not on the radio something like that and it's got like this it's such a great sound song with this awesome opening like this like this little <laughs> drum track that just like uh, i mean i'll play it so you'll hear it um but you just that that drum and then this beat i i it just it gets into you and i love it so i actually did look this one up and the song was written by a guy named elliot Strait, who we'll come back to later on in one of my other selections uh because he also <laughs> went by the nickname of dr freeze yep spider-man he, and freeze in full effect <laughs> So he wrote this song as a letter to his ex-girlfriend and eventually said it's a music and Belle Biv DeVoe heard the demo and they flipped and Belle Biv DeVoe was three of the guys who weren't Bobby Brown or Ralph Trent. (laughs) It was um, uh, Ricky Bell, Ronnie DeVoe and Michael Bivens. Michael Bivens. I couldn't think of his first name. Um, So they came together. Biv 10. (laughs) And this was their first single. They, they loved the, the demo. They flipped for it. They wanted it. So they got it. They recorded it. It's their biggest single to date. Um, and to me, I mean, it, it comes down to like this, just the, my, my, the philosophy that I have lived my entire life by. And I, I don't know about you. Oh, my God. You know, Hamlet said, one may smile and smile and be a villain. And mm-hmm. I think the Belle Biv DeVoe version is never trust a big button, a smile. It's, it's Hamlet. It's Hamlet put to hip hop. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's just like Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. This, this. I remember when this came out, and this was inescapable. This was, this was. You know how? Remember how radio stations used to like have a playlist that was maybe four hours long. Like if you listened to the radio station all day, you'd hear the same song about every couple of hours. It would kind of recycle again and stuff like this. Well, Poison was one of those songs in the clubs. And this was when I, you know, going to, 
dance clubs at NIU with Rakim and Vaughn and Michael T. And we had, and you know, we had our kick steps, you know, we had our kid and play dance routines. We rehearsed and choreographed dance routines in the dorms before we went to the clubs and before we went to frat parties. And, you know, don't knock it because we were freaking good. And we, we could literally get a circle formed around us and get girls, you know, throwing, quarters at us <laughs> I didn't know whatever but the point is this was one of those songs though that like if you were at a club at like amnesia or something like that in 1991 this song was on once an hour it was on every hour it was just it was that big what the only thing I'm going to add to this because it's a great this is the this is the definitive selection choice I'm glad you chose this even though it's not my favorite Belbert DeVoe song but it's the biggest and it's the most influential and it kind of launched everything Belbiv DeVoe from there on. Now, for, I'm going to name drop a few for the people that, if you don't remember any of the singles, there were songs like She's Dope, Let Me Know Something. Um, there, were all kinds of, there were all kinds of tracks that came out. There were a lot of singles. Now, going back to my original story that launched this podcast, shortly after the success of this album, they released a remix album of the same album. It was called WBBD Boot City. And the through line for the album was as if it was a radio DJ playing the songs. And so there were interludes in between the songs with a guy talking like a radio DJ. (laughs) But there were remixes of all the songs. And I thought, honest to God, every single one of them was better. Let me preface this, though, because most of these tracks being extended dance tracks and remixes and stuff, a lot of them were six minutes, seven minute songs. And they weren't the kind of thing you'd put on a radio. They weren't singles. They weren't radio friendly. And they would certainly kind of, there was a lot of instrumental stuff, if you know what I mean. A lot of scratching and remixing and then instrumental stuff. But at this particular time in my life, I was putting together playlists. You know, we talked about this on the Father's Day podcast. I was able to use, utilize my DJing skills with a dad's equipment because I could mix a phonograph into a tape and then back to a phonograph and then into it. So I could get these bleeds that the songs would overlap and I could set the tempo of the album to match the beat per minute. So I was doing this. Now, I was way into dance music. So I was really creating dance playlists at the time. So I loved all this stuff. But this is also, and I'll talk about this a little bit farther as we go on too. BET was kind of just breaking out. And then in the dorms where I lived with, with all my, my football and baseball buddies on our floor, all the athletes, they played BET more than they played MTV. And it was just on all the time. BET had access to all these remixes. All these artists were releasing videos for BET that didn't make it on MTV. So I was seeing all these long extended dance tracks and stuff. And that's how I kind of got all this. I got influenced by this. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to go too I'm not going to go too far into. But if you liked Belle Biv DeVoe's debut album, but you really were into dance music and club music and stuff like that. Pound for pound, I would say Boot City, the remix album, was a much, much better album. And it included, and the really coming back to the BET thing, one of my favorite tracks off the, the Poison remix album was Do Me, which had an extended rap that was not available on the album version of Poison. It was available on the extended dance uh, remix album, and then it was heavily played on BET. And then I think even MTV played the remix version in the video, which had a different rap that I remember being fascinated by. I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole other rap that Ronnie DeVoe does that leads off the song. That's not in. It was like awesome. It was it was hardcore. It was awesome. And it wasn't in the original song. So that just shows you the strength of the remix album. All right. What do you got after that? 
All right. Since you're going chronologically from New Edition, I'm going to go back to New Edition, the actual New Edition. But this is going to be from the first New Edition album I bought, which I referenced in the beginning, after Bobby Brown had left. And his shoes were replaced by Johnny Gill. Now, Johnny Gill was brought in at the time because they thought Ralph Tresvant was going to leave as well. So they didn't think they had a lead singer, period. Johnny Gill was a very soulful, deep-voiced, kind of uh, Keith Sweat, Luther Vandross kind of singer that they brought in. And then Ralph Tresvant decided to stay. So Johnny Gill and Ralph kind of co-authored a lot of the lead vocals on the next album, uh, Heartbreak. So my track from that album is If It Isn't Love. I don't love her. But you can see it in my eyes So don't deny I can't fool no one else The truth is in the tears I cry Cause if it isn't love Why do I feel this way? Why does she stay on my mind? And if it isn't love If memory serves, I would say this is the first new edition song that I actually remember seeing and falling in love with when I saw a video for it. This had to have come out when I was, you know, before I went to college, before before I got into new edition, but I'm sure I was familiar with it because the choreographed dance moves in the video where they're in like a gymnasium auditioning for the video. I vividly remember seeing it. It was somewhere stored in my memory bank and I don't know how I could have seen it. But then fast forward to me at NIU when all of a sudden I got into all these guys and I started getting, okay, so Belle DeVoe's popular, Bobby Brown's popular, Ralph Tresvant's got a solo album. Then I wanted to go back and check out New Edition was still recording stuff though after Bobby Brown left. So, and I got this album, as I told you at the very, very beginning. Um, this song was badass, and I, I saw the video. I remembered the video from my youth somehow, and I don't know how. But anyway, this song had all – it was a love song. It was catchy, but it didn't sound like the bubblegum pop that New Edition's first two albums had. You know, it didn't sound like Candy Girl or Mr. Telephone Man or some of those other tracks. This was a very adult boy band doing a very romantic song, and – this song I fell in love with, and I have nothing else to say other than this is just this is probably my favorite new edition song of all time. It's really, really good song, and I'm glad you picked it because I had completely forgotten about it. I know I heard this when it was popular or, or around that time. Um, and keeping with the theme, like I when I first heard it, it reminded me of like something that Michael Jackson was doing. It reminded me of something from Dangerous or something along yeah. those lines. Uh, it kind of had that sound, and and. It it was something that sounded like it it reminded me of that. It also reminded me of some of like Bobby Brown stuff, like around the time like when he had Bobby Brown had the song from Ghostbusters Two, which I almost put on on my pick, but I'll save that one for a soundtrack selection. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I don't have much else to say other than I really I, I I like the song too. It's a great little hook, and it's got that sound that instantly puts me in that that place and that frame of mind of, of yeah. And I think the only the only thing I would add, the last thing I would say. Is it's just Ralph's vocal track on this song. Uh, like, you know, for, for coming out of what, you know, a bubblegum pop boy band kind of thing, he's passionate when he sings this song. Like this kind of, this song moves you, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's kind of how it got me. It, it got me in the feels, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? 
Well, speaking of Ralph Tresman, uh, I'm going to go with one of his solo songs. At the time I first heard him, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was the guy from New Edition. I didn't know, other than Bobby Brown, I didn't know any of these guys grew up to be to be people. And the first time I heard him as an adult, it wasn't from his album, even though this song was on his his, his big album. Right. Um, but I'm going with the song Yo Baby Yo, which I remember from the soundtrack to House Party 2. this soundtrack for some reason probably a christmas present from an aunt or uncle or or cousin who doesn't know you very well (laughs) and for whatever reason you left it you left it at our house in DeKalb. you didn't take it back with you back to california so it got folded into my cd collection and i did listen to it and i remember i remember watching the the first house party movie and we must have i must have watched the second one with you yeah Um, uh, i think the second one had martin and Martin is like, oh yeah, he was Blau, the DJ. Yeah, yeah, Blau, yeah. And but I would listen to this, and I thought the kid and play songs were okay, but the songs that I really, really liked on the album were this one by Ralph Fresen and the title track by Tony, Tony, Tony. Yes. Um, and I, oh, I actually, I, we're not going to talk about them, but I love Tony, 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 and some of their stuff. I, I used uh, if I had no loot on uh, our our uh, Michael Jordan episode. Uh, oh yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, they had a ton of hits. Like, I could rattle off a ton of hits by them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this song, I just, I, I like, of all of the songs we're going to be talking about in this episode, this one might be my favorite. Um, really? I just love this one as a dance hit, as a dance track. Yeah. Um, it's it just, like, I would be alone shooting hoops in our front driveway mm-hmm. to this song. I would be downstairs dancing. With Remy? With Remy? With Remy. With Remy. <laughs> um, I, I would be downstairs, you know, either working out or dancing or, or just grooving or driving around to this song or something and and i've had so much fun like listening to this song in particular going back as we've been prepping for this one i just yeah it's yeah i feel it (laughs) yeah no i'm I'm glad you picked this because honestly i here's the here's the weird thing about doing a podcast like this we try to give equal time to all the people involved but i from all the people that i knew when i was in this when I was submerged in this at NIU with all my football player buddies and all, all and we were clubbing and all the stuff, everybody, I was the one that liked Ralph the most. Not many people, honestly, not many people knew who he was. For being the lead singer of the boy band, he was the least known to come out of the boy band, which was mm. shocking because Belbiv DeVoe blew up and Bobby Brown blew up. So it was weird that Ralph didn't get that much credit. I loved this guy and I'm so glad that you picked this. I will never forget. And this is such a weird uh, sort of weird personal connection to something, but in house party too. So he actually performs at the house party in the, in the college. (laughs) And the one thing I remember was his yellow pajamas, but he had a black Chicago white Sox hat. 
And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. And I wasn't even a Sox fan, but it was just kind of like, it was like one of those things where I was like, yeah, that's my guy. And he just had this voice and this song is, oh dude, I'm telling yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, like you, you picked a good one and I'm glad you picked this because I, I, I struggled from my selection, which will, will come up. I wanted to pick Ralph's, uh, he had another soundtrack song from the Wayans brothers movie, Money Can't Buy You Love. Mm. Um, Song by the same name, but sung by Ralph Tresvant. Actually, I think that's the name of the movie. I actually could be totally wrong. I, I know the movie you're talking about. Well, whatever. I don't know what the title of the movie is. The song, Ralph did the title song called Money Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, Money Can't Buy You Love. And I really struggled because I wanted to get that on the list, but it wasn't as important as the one I chose. So I'm glad you picked this one because Ralph was all over the place and I wish he got more credit and more respect because the soundtrack songs he did were every good, every bit as good as what he did off his initial album. I think the movie was just Mo Money. That's it. Yes. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. Okay. I think after that, we got black Chicago White Sox hats. We got, we got those ba- white baseball oh, totally. hats that we wore. And even though we were more Cubs fans, I think we liked them just because they were black. So, they, yes. so the, the hats looked cooler. Yeah. No, they really did. As a matter of fact, I, I venture to say, because this is, this is in there. Like, I'm, I mentioned this at the beginning. I'm glad you segued into this now because at some point we got to talk about the cultural impact of fashion. What these guys did – the new Jack swing era brought in the starter jackets and the team sports things. And this was, this became a, a, you know, random teams too. It was weird. Like this was like an era where like I would see a rap video on BET or on MTV or something. And it was like, people were wearing like Charlotte Hornets gear. And I'm like, you know what, why, you know, there was, (laughs) it was a really weird thing because it didn't seem like there was loyalty to a certain thing. It was all about the look and the fashion and the Chicago White Sox at that time when they changed their uniforms from navy blue and the, the 80s uniforms that they had, navy blue and red, and then went to the black pinstriped uniforms, uh, that became a cultural thing. And the hip-hop community picked up on it. The, the New Jack Swing community picked up on it. We picked up on it. I had a couple of White Sox hats. I remember I had more than one, and I was never a Sox fan. But it was a part of fashion. And it was cool. It was dark. It was it was gangsta, <laughs> you know. Okay, so since you brought him up, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with Rizzo. I'm gonna stay with Rizzo, Ralph's nickname for those uninitiated. Um, I'm gonna go with what is, and this was a struggle because I liked his debut solo album, which didn't do nearly the amount of business that I thought it should. It didn't come close to Belvedere Devoe or Bobby Brown status, but Ralph Tresvant's debut album, I'm gonna go with the most prominent track off that album and my personal favorite Ralph Tresvant song of all time, Sensitivity. I've already talked about how much I love Rizzo. 
I love Ralph. I had the chance, the, the, the weird random chance to actually meet him recently, Ralph. And this is, a, I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Ralph and Bobby Brown. I was working a movie screening uh, in Woodland Hills in California. Uh, we were doing a daytime press screening for a show. So I remember it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And this was after Whitney Houston had died. Bobby Brown and Ralph Tresvant came out to see a movie that afternoon, like a matinee. There was nobody there. Very few people at a, uh, especially during the day, because it was during the school year and stuff like that. And that's why we were doing press screenings. But anyway, Bobby Brown and Ralph Tresvant walk in and nobody there, you know, again, keep in mind the staff of the AMC theater was all 13 to 15 (laughs) years old. You know, nobody knew who he was. Right. But Bobby Brown and Ralph Tresvant walk in and, this is very reminiscent of my story during the Bulls contact podcast where I saw Jordan and Pippen together. And I thought immediately everybody would go to Bobby Brown and talk to Bobby Brown. <laughs> so, so just like how I opted to go talk to Pippen instead of Jordan, um, I did the same thing. I wanted to let Ralph know that I recognized you. I know who you are. So when they came in, I was like, hey, well, you know, and of course I'm wearing a suit and everything. So I looked like a Bible salesman or something going up to approaching them as they come in. And I was like, what the hell are you two doing together? And they both kind of laughed. And I was like, that could have gone horribly wrong for so many reasons. But they both kind of laughed and everything. I was like, I can't believe you. I'm like, are you guys just here to see a movie? You're going to perform. And they laughed. They laughed out loud. And then somehow we talked for a couple minutes and Bobby went to go buy popcorn or whatever. Popcorn love. Yeah, exactly. But I had Ralph's ear for a couple minutes and I was absolutely convinced at that moment in time. I like, I, I dare, no matter where he went in California, I bet you nobody would recognize him or know who the hell he was. So the fact that I cornered him and told, I was like, yo dude, I sensitivity is my favorite karaoke R and B track to do and everything. And I was like, and the video version and the album version doesn't have the extended rap at the end. The rap at the end of the album version of sensitivity is probably, I want to say like 16, 16 bars. Um, the extended remix that BET played and that was on the remix of the single had like, it was like, it was like four times as long. It was like 64 bars and I knew it and I memorized it and I did that at karaoke and went off script. And then I would get people in karaoke bars being like, Oh shit. People thought I was freestyling. And it was like this whole thing. And I'm just like going off. And then I remember he spelled it out S E N S I T I V I T Y. And he does this whole, and I did all those things. And Ralph looked at me, he was like, all right, man. (laughs) I was like, you don't think that's cool? And he was like, yeah, no, he goes, I don't even remember the words. (laughs) And that was, that was my meeting with Ralph Tresvant. So I'm like, all right. I I met Bobby and I met Ralph and sensitivity was one of my favorite songs. It is my favorite Ralph Tresvant song. And I honestly, I, I, again, I'm going to keep echoing this point. I think Aside from Johnny Gill, who was the new member of the group, I think Ralph Tresvant is the most underrated and forgotten member of the group. So the fact that I singled him out and knew him and recognized him and rapped with him, I, I, that's, I'll, I'll take that to the grave, yo. <laughs> nice, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll go in through my chronology then. Um, since, I, since I missed New Edition when they were kids... I have a distinct memory of you saying, hey, you need to check out this group, ABC. Oh, my God. And I was like, what? Is it ABC, another bad creation? I was like, 
another bad grade. Oh, that, that's kind of clever. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's cool. Who are they? And you were, you were like, it's they're like they're little kid rappers. <laughs> they're yeah. like they're like the little kid boy band version of. These, and I was like, wait, what? Seriously? And of course, I like I was a kid at the time, so like I saw the CD and I was like, oh man. <laughs> and I, was, and I, I think you probably convinced me there was some sort of like sidekick connection, like like they they were the Robin to like Bobby Brown's Batman or New Edition or Belle Biv DeVoe's Batman or something like that. So you you had that album and you played that for I I, I heard their first I, I can't album believe play. I had that album. I, I, oh, I, you know awesome. I think you gave it to me or something like that and I and I don't know if I still have it somewhere but there are songs on there that I, I still remember like Aisha and Playground yep. and I love those songs but the one because it's the Fire and Water Network and, and I am who I am I had to signal out the song Spider-Man. I said Spider-Man, which is intentionally misspelled, maybe, and I question if that was just to sort of be different and clever because they they spell it with a Y instead of an I, and it's not hyphenated. And Actually, if I can jump in, if I can jump in, I'll I'll answer that question for you right now. Is it a was trademark of, thing? No, Spider-Man was one of the co-writers with Doctor Freeze. Oh, of, of yeah, the Spider-Man. And- Spider-Man and Freeze in full effect. Yes. So this, yeah. So the spelling of the name. Now I don't know if the song the song might have been written by him or it might have just been about kids talking about a superhero. But this the spelling of the name to avoid any legal entanglement. Right. To, to avoid the copyright. Right. Yeah. They they went with the legal spelling of the producer. Okay. All right. Okay. I should have made that connection because I knew. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. That question answered. Um, but the other thing, like, so as I said, like, uh, I, I was thinking about which songs to play, and there's a, they have a great song called Aisha that I really liked, and Playground, which was kind of funny. The attitude of the like these kids and <laughs> like it was just, it was just, it was looking at it in hindsight, it's really really weird. But at the time, I thought they were like the coolest people in the world, and I was like, oh, they're they're like rapping and doing these songs, and I was like, I could almost do that. I could do that. This song in particular. <laughs> It kind of sounds like it was written by a fourth grader. <laughs> but well, yeah. like, I, I, obviously, it was written for a fourth grader to sing. Like, it was written for, with the intention of like these little kids to sing it. So it had to be kind of dumbed down. But like, like I just I, I had this weirdest thing because like okay, at the time I didn't know the Spider-Man Doctor Freeze like thing like that, and I didn't know that they were the names of the writers or or that this Elliot Straight guy went by Doctor Freeze. Right. So I just remember thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, Doctor Freeze is not his name. You're confusing him with Mister Freeze. He's the villain, <laughs> and I was like, "And Mister Freeze is not a Spider-Man villain. He's a Batman villain, you moron!" So I was, like, oh I, was like, I was like, "Do these kids really not know who these comic book superheroes are, or 
did somebody write this for these kids? And the, the, who, whatever old grandpa adult songwriter didn't know who these people are. I was like, you're totally screwing it up. Mr. Freeze's Batman villain, dude. So <laughs> I, said, I thought I, I liked the song because it, invoked these things <laughs> like well as at that age of course yeah. of course it invokes superhero they're talking about let me the superhero with the most human superpower which what the hell does that even mean and who whatever that means it doesn't apply to spider-man <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was just trying to figure this thing out and then listening to the song again for the first time in a quarter of a century maybe it sounds just like poison, and it's yeah, like, oh it's, god, it's, totally. Like he's totally they're they, like, and all the songs do. The entire album sounds like they were just ripping off old Belle Biv DeVoe stuff. Like yeah. he just like completely copied this. And I had no idea that at the time that Freeze wrote this one, he wrote Poison. He also wrote I Want to Sex You Up by Color Me Bad. So it, yeah, it just oh, it kind of like blew my mind multiple times <laughs> when I was a kid, and then as an adult, this song just keeps like tripping me up. Like what is, what is up with this song? <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. That that's, uh, that's awesome. Well, first of all, what you didn't mention, and just to like kind of uh, you know, to for the purpose of this podcast, what your listeners may not realize, ABC was a band discovered by Michael Bivens. Right. So right, let's right, yeah. let's let's preface that they're yeah, that's under the, the, the family tree. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, like, they're, legacy, they're yeah. under the fil- yeah Michael Bivens from Belle Biv DeVoe and New Edition, then branched off and started his own production company and founded a bunch of groups. He actually started a bunch of them. Another bad creation was a very short-lived boy rap band. But what I remember, and again, this is the, they got more heavily played on BET at the time when I was at NIU than on MTV. But Aisha was played a lot, and Playground was played a lot. And so I got the album, and Spider-Man was just a cool-ass song. But I remember the image of these guys. They were literally mini-me's of, of Belbev DeVoe. <laughs> I mean, they had they had oversized like construction work boots, baggy, hugely baggy jeans or overalls, and then these like over you know, like like rubber parkas and like inflated like winter parkas with hoods, and then all these like different you know like sporting goods hats. You know mm-hmm. they would, but they were all they were like kind of like the Jackson Five. You know, kind of like a lot. A lot, like you said, they were carefully. Their image was carefully cultivated yep. and very specific, and they were just a much more urban, a little harder edged, more rap oriented new edition. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you wanted to nitpick and break down the quality of the songs, these were absolutely the Belbiv DeVoe leftovers, like <laughs> yeah. without a doubt, not even close. But at the same time, you put this on a dance mix. And, and like in a playlist with like, you know, a hundred, like a three hour playlist of dance songs and you got Belbiv DeVoe and then you blend it into Spider-Man or Playground or something. ABC for that one moment in time, dude, they were, they were, there was a reason I bought the CD man, and I was a college kid. So spending money was not a thing, but there was a reason that this was, that this was on my priority list. This was <laughs> at that particular time, this CD was worth every penny. <laughs> I think there, there. I just remember the the little mini rivalry between the two kids or like teenage groups was ABC and then Crisscross. Yeah, Crisscross yes, it was. The two guys who wore the clothes backwards. Yes, and it, it was. was like you had to pick one, like ABC or Crisscross. Yeah, it was Coke I, and Pepsi. Yeah, and <laughs> and everybody I knew, like uh, like it seemed like Crisscross was the more popular of the two. But I was like, no, nah, yep, ABC. They were the man. Pepsi. <laughs> they were the Pepsi, which means I didn't like him. So. <laughs> Oh my God, that's fun though. That's fun. So anyway, so there, there's a ABC. 
I'm so glad you brought it up. I forgot that you were going there for this podcast. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I totally forgot about ABC and Spider-Man. That was awesome. And it perfectly suits the Fire and Water Podcast Network brand. It, it so, does. It does. There you go. <laughs> All right. So moving on, I'm going to go with, and I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about this, but I will preface my next song and say that he is by far the least popular ever member of New Edition. And in my opinion, the by far most talented singer. <laughs> I'm going to point that out. Johnny Gill's Wrap My Body Tight. talked about this a little bit at the beginning um johnny gill was brought in at a time when bobby brown had already actually bobby brown didn't leave let's be honest new edition fired him like like let the record show that new edition fired him because of his bad behavior and so he struck out of course the irony is that they were signed by mca at the time and so he got his own solo deal with mca <laughs> so it was like <laughs> they weren't gonna let him go but new edition got rid of him so they brought in johnny gill who was like i said earlier a very luther vandross soulful singer had range off the charts this guy was he was a little bit older but damn could he sing and he was like one of those like like panty dropper singers you know like a like jodeci kind of thing mm -hmm. or he was that guy yeah anyway so he did the deep the deep parts of of the new edition part the the low low register songs uh to accent ralph who had a very high register right and then johnny gill released his own solo act like of course he was destined to release a solo album and he did some stuff and then he eventually went off and spawned his own group with like keith sweat and gerald lavert i think it was actually called ksg or something like that mm -hmm. after their own last names didn't do very well but johnny gill had a number of hits that I really, really liked off his album. He had uh, 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 the ballad, My, 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 which was a very slow, kind of deep, romantic ballad. He had Rub, Rub You the Right Way, which was an up-tempo dance track. He had a couple of them, but Wrap My Body Tight, I wanted to get this into the podcast because, first of all, it's a, it's a good song. It it's perfectly fits the theme of what we're doing. It shouldn't be left off the list. But I did want to make sure that we got a Johnny Gill song in play here because otherwise he would be easily forgotten in the new edition lore. And that's not fair because I, I, I truly believe that he's the most talented singer in the group. I'll leave it at that. I hadn't heard this song until you recommend until you you mentioned that you wanted to cover this one for the show, um, and honestly, like I like talk about being like the underappreciated, undervalued member. Like I didn't know he was part of New Edition. Like I, I again, like going back to like not really being as familiar with the the, the right. characters as uh, when they were the, the characters. <laughs> yeah, the, the names of the the actual singers, um, their identities prior to when they struck out. So I knew the name Johnny Gill. 
I think from the soundtrack to New Jack City. <laughs> I think there was just a Johnny Depp sure. song in that, and that might have been it, uh, or just like hearing the name in passing connection. But I was not familiar with it, so I hadn't heard the song. Uh, so I've been listening to it the past week, and you're right, it's a great song. It's a sexy song. It's it is yeah. like top tier slow jam song. Like just a uh, yeah, really really incredible. I like. It's of the songs on our list. This is definitely one of my favorites now. Yeah, there's like if you you mentioned characters, and I laughed out loud when you said mm-hmm. that. But I di- I didn't mean to. Like the reality is, like boy bands have a certain type of like They're if you're stuck. Coach- yeah yeah no honestly you're right like if you're constructing a boy band like the lou pearlmans of the world they seek out archetypes for every character that a boy band needs and johnny gill's voice fit the character that new edition was lacking when bobby brown left which was the sexy one the you know the one that like i mean this is like this is the guy there's a reason guys with this type of voice you know have bras and panties thrown on stage when they're performing Johnny Gill was that guy. So there's a reason that they capitalized his songwriters wrote really, really sexy songs. You know, this is almost like an Isaac Hayes kind of thing, you know, like, you know, <laughs> he, he just had that, you know, let's, let's let him sing girls into nakedness. <laughs> you know, if that makes any sense, that was the plan. So Johnny Gill's album, I've heard it now. It's not as uptempo as Belbiv DeVoe. It's not as abrasive as Bobby Brown. It's not as funky as maybe Ralph Tresvent. It's sexy. You know, for what LL Cool J did to rap, brought sexy into rap, Johnny Gill was the sexy voice of New Edition. And I could have gone a number of directions, you know, with it, with this. And again, like I said, I point this out. I, I understand that. I bet you nobody listening to this podcast knows who Johnny Gill is. He's the most forgotten person in the group. But if you listen to his vocal range, he's, I, I, God, he blows me away as a singer. For our uh, Fire and Water listener audience, Zoom Yukonori was the Johnny Gill of our, of our community. <laughs> May he rest in peace. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so that wraps up Johnny Gill. What do you got next? Where are you going? All right. Keeping with the slow jams, uh, sexy love theme, I'm going to go with another legacy edition from the uh, the new edition family tree that wasn't part of the original lineup, uh, but uh, a, a found family member sort of of that. Uh, and I'm going to go with a boys to men track. And there were a lot of boys to men songs, but really there was one that had more impact on my life uh, than any other. So I had to talk about the song. I'll make love to you. Close your eyes, make a wish, and go out again tonight. For tonight is just your night. We're gonna celebrate all through the night. For the wine, light the Submit to your demands I will do anything Girl, you need only if I'll make love to you Like you want me to And I'll hold you tight Baby, all through the night I'll make love to you When you want me to
All right, I was in junior high when this song came out, and it was inescapable. Uh, this song spent a record number of weeks at the number one spot on the charts, and then it perfectly was, so. Yeah, and then it was replaced by another boys to men song. <laughs> <laughs> down on bended knee for almost an equal number of weeks. <laughs> so it was just like, like for a whole calendar year, they had like they had two. Well, songs. God, when did End of the Road come out? Wasn't that right after that? Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, like, yeah. They probably dominated the charts for a couple of years. Yeah, uh, um, for a group that I I heard first with Motown Philly, which had that new Jack Swing song that I loved. Yeah, exactly. And then they switched it up with this. What I at the time I thought was more of a bubblegum sappier kind of eh, song that I just I wasn't into when this came out and it was just the oversaturation I was like oh come on stop <laughs> so through sheer overexposure I didn't like the song that much um, but I, I couldn't get away from it and even even the title I'll make love to you like you want like it just seemed a little bit frank <laughs> like like uh, just on the nose uh, yeah but also strangely formal, like as opposed to humping around. <laughs> like you're kind of saying, okay. we really want to have sex, but we're also going to be really sweet and tender about it. Right. And, you know, being like seventh or eighth grade, I was like, is that what women are into? That seems kind of lame. Yeah, it's a little bit different than Do Me Baby. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other thing, though, is that this song was played at every school dance that I went to in junior high. Um, I'm no kidding. It wouldn't surprise me if it was played more than once in each dance. That's certainly how it seemed. Cut to my eighth grade formal, uh, the last dance of the year, uh, which formal really just meant I think the boys were supposed to wear ties, and maybe that was like the extent of the, the dress code. However, my memory is that JT wore a vest over a Hawaiian shirt with no tie. So, oh my God, they might have brilliant. Yeah, they they might have been a little bit lax on that that policy. I at least I had a, a dress shirt tie and a jacket uh, over like like khaki chinos or something like that. So, anyway, <laughs> I felt like I was dressed really well. <laughs> so, chinos. <laughs> So the last, the last dance of the, uh, the last dance of eighth grade or whatever, um, there was this girl named Katie who was the most popular girl in school. Uh, all the guys liked her, everything like that. About a week earlier, I pulled this prank on her or something during lunch. I don't even remember what it was. I know I was trying to, it was trying to be funny, and it backfired, and she was pissed or something like that. So, the end of the night during the dance. Uh, I walked up to her. She was just sitting around talking to one of her friends and I walked up to her and apologized. I was just, I, I don't remember, but I was just like, Hey, I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings. That was not my intention. Just being like very just open. I was like, I, Wait, what was the prank? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I've been thinking about it. I can't remember. Did you like firebomb her car? Or something? <laughs> yes. Yes. That was it. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it totally was yeah no i that was so your mo in high school it totally was yeah um so but yeah i just went up and i was like i'm i'm sorry i didn't want to hurt your feelings it was a joke that was supposed to be funny i i feel really bad and i'm sorry and she's like okay that's fine you know we're, we're all forgiven just as i say that the last fast song stops and this song begins <laughs> And I am just in perfect prime position. No, there are no other guys standing around her where I'm just like looking around. I'm like, would you like to dance? 
And she's like, sure. So I dance with her and, you know, it's eighth grade. She's got her hands on my shoulders. I've got my hands on her hips. There's enough room for Jesus to between room us. Room for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we danced this song and I was like, oh, you know, I, I always hated the song. Now I kind of like it. So, and I was just, you know, feeling really cool because, you know, the most popular girl in the school is dancing with me the last dance of the eighth grade. I was like, I'm going to be riding this high for until we get to high school and <laughs> it all comes crashing down. Anyway, <laughs> so... Yeah, leave that dance feeling like, you know, that was really cool. Girls liked me. My friends were jealous. Everything was fine. Went home. You know, like, mom and dad have gone to bed. Maybe I was still up, but it was like 11 o'clock that night. The phone rings. And I, I'm not answering because it's, like, it's 11 o'clock. And mom and dad answered it probably thinking that you were half dead again. Like, there's so, something else that happened to you. But they, they answer it, and then they mom, one of them says, hey, Ryan, there's, the phone is for you. It's a girl or something like that. I was like, there's a girl calling me at 11 o'clock at night? I was like, so it turns out it, there was this other girl named Christine that I was kind of flirting with at the time, but like I thought we were just friends, but you know, I might have been leading her on. I, I feel bad about that in hindsight. Oh, God. Anyway, she gets <laughs> her friend to call me. Because apparently she wanted to spend the last dance of the night with me. And she got to see me with Miss Popular. And this girl is heartbroken. And she has her friend call to basically tell me that I'm, I'm a jerk and I'm cruel and everything. Oh, my God. This is a John Hughes movie. <laughs> and I'm like on the phone. I was like, is this what dating is going to be like going forward? Because I might tap out here. Like this drama. <laughs> like I just I remember having this thought at the time. Like, what the hell? Like, is this, this what is eighth grade, right? Yeah, yeah, eighth grade. Oh, oh my god! I'm like, is this the kind of drama that I can expect going forward? Because this isn't fun. I don't want to be robbing my girl. I don't really know on behalf of another girl that I didn't have romantic feelings for. I'm sorry. I just I was just friends with. Now, in hindsight, looking, <clears throat> knowing now what I if I had known then, um, I would have played it completely differently, and I would have skipped on Miss Popular and the girl who had a crush on me. I would have gone out for her because a she had she was into me which you know would have made things easier at that age yeah and b her dad was rich so oh my god you totally blew it this I is did, not a I John Hughes I, movie it, yeah no it, later on i found out like it like, went to her house which was like near near greek row on campus but like had a mansion i was like jesus you live here wow so anyway that, <laughs> that's what i'll make love to you reminds me of <laughs> That's amazing, man. I've never heard that story. And I'm so glad I'm so glad you shared that. That is awesome. That's it. Um, it could have been a story about boys to men, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, actually that, what I will say about boys to men, again, not, never being really into them, partially just being turned off by how overexposed they were. I always thought of the group, um, the singer Sean Stockman. Yeah, I always thought he was the coolest one. I thought he looked the best. I really? Thought he had a, yeah, I thought he had a really cool voice. He had a solo song on the soundtrack to Mr. Holland's Opus, that Richard Dreyfuss movie. Yeah, oh, I love that movie. Great um, there, movie. There's a he, Sean Stockton has Stock, Stockman. Sean Stockman has a song on it called "Visions of a Sunrise" or something. Really, really beautiful song. Um, and I, yeah, I always just thought like of the whole group, he, he had the coolest look. He was best looking and best singer or something like that. I just, I keyed into him. I thought he was cool. You know what I got? Okay. I gotta, I gotta completely go off script right now and segue this for the listeners. Uh, we have not talked about this. We have not referenced this. There was no like previously thought out plan. I agree with you. 
Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you went there because I always dug the guy too, especially because he wore the cab driver hat backwards, <laughs> yes. which is like, which is what we did at that time. Like we loved our dad's cab driver hat thing. Yep. But, but I think in general, if you took a general pulse of the group, you know, at the, at the time of, of a four person harmony barbershop quartet kind of pop group, I don't think many people like in my peer group, at least nobody like he was the forgettable one. And I'm so happy that you pointed that out because I love that guy. Yeah. He was tall and thin and dressed like us and had like, I, there was just, yeah, I liked him. I liked his charisma. I liked his voice. When he went off and soloed, I was like, that's the kind of voice I wish I had. Which, by the way, no daily has had any voice close to boys to men voice, you know, like, <laughs> but that would be the guy that I would want. But I knew all the girls like, you know, the, the I don't, I honestly, I apologize. I don't even know their names. The, you know, the majority of the leads were done by the two other guys, the shorter, stockier guys in the group. And everybody loved them. And like you, I gravitated towards him. So I'm so happy you said that. That's really, really cool that I had not, I didn't know that that was your favorite. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, The only thing I'm going to add is Boys to Men was very, very oversaturated and overwhelmingly kind of like got to especially because they're they're love songs so when you hear it to a certain extent when they're overplayed to a certain extent they become sappy yeah and that was my general kind of my crux about boys to men at the time i didn't want to like them i never bought a boys to men album never bought a cd but it was just because you didn't need to they were, you know, they were on the radio all the fucking time. Yeah, one of so, the songs we, one of the songs we haven't even talked about. It's so hard to say goodbye. Yeah, like that, that's another song that's been on soundtracks for movies and TV. Oh God, yeah, time. Like, yeah, into the road. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah. you could go on and on. But the one thing this podcast has made me do is kind of reminisce about the fact that they were a very talented singing group. Yeah, probably the most talented singing group of all the boys to men, or of, sorry, all the new edition spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Boys to men had every mark had had every niche of what you need in harmonies right. covered. You right. know, and it's unfortunate that now they're a three piece, not a four piece, because the 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 baritone, the deep baritone voice has had health problems, so he can't tour with them and record with them anymore. Right. But they 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 covered the blanket in terms of you know a well-rounded sound though there there is no doubt in my mind that they deserve to be as popular as they were at the time now that doesn't mean i doesn't mean i wanted to rebel against it you know <laughs> i certainly i certainly was like oh my god boys to men seriously roses are red violets are blue they'll make it sound pretty yeah. you know it was that type of thing but also also it is worth mentioning. I mean, if you're making a new Jack swing playlist or something, you need Motown Philly on there. Yeah, absolutely. That was the most Belbiv DeVoe sounding song that they had. And yeah, exactly, that was the first, yeah. then that was the breakout hit too, which, and again, to come full circle, boys to men founded by Michael Bivens, another, yeah. you know, another Biv 10 production. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. All right. Is it my turn? It is. Okay, I'm going to bring it back to the New Edition family, New Edition itself. But I'm going to go with, and again, none of these songs that I'm picking are necessarily my favorites, but they're culturally important and personally important for specific reasons. I'm going to go with the 1996 New Edition reunion album called Home Again. And the first single off it, which featured all six members of the group in New Edition, quotes, unquote, uh, hit me off. Thing I've ever seen Looking like a natural queen 
picking the song for a number of reasons. Number one, it had been a long time building. People, the the thirst, the the appetite in the world uh, uh, was there for new edition. People wanted to get all these guys back on stage. People wanted to see what they could do. They had talked about it. There were rumors about it. They were all successful solo, but they, you know, people wanted to hear this. So I wanted to hear it. And they brought, they, they came together for a short period of time. The album was okay. The single hit me off was fantastic. And it featured the best elements that everyone brought to the table. Belle Biv DeVoe brought the, like the rap to it. Bobby Brown and Ralph brought the singing to it. Johnny Gill harmonized with everything. Like there was everything. This was a good, good song. And I was super excited to have them come back and they all appeared in a video and then they started a tour together and the tour failed after a couple months. <laughs> and it was, you know, I'd heard things, you know, there were, there were stories about how Ronnie DeVoe and Bobby Brown got in a fist fight on stage one night. And then all these other stories, like there was, this was destined to fail. And then I even heard Bobby Brown talking in an interview later. They were like, why is this so hard to get you guys to do a reunion? And Bobby Brown was very frank, very honest. And he said, I could get paid the same amount of money doing a solo tour that New Edition would get paid to do a reunion tour and I would get one sixth of the profits. And he was like, I got to be honest with you. What's the incentive for me to do that? He goes, I can tour by myself and get more money. So anyway, there it is. But New Edition came back. They've tried to do a couple of reunions. They've tried it a number of times. But in 96, the one time they all got together in a room and said, this is a great freaking song, and they did hit me off. I like the song. It's a good song. But six guys is too much for a boy band. <laughs> yeah, true. I six, agree. Like Just like looking at the album cover, I was like, eh, there's too many people there. Six people? That's, that's too many. Three, three doesn't really count. Three feels like a reunion that you're, you've lost somebody, but um, but yeah, it's it's four and five and six people is just too much. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good song. Okay, <laughs> moving on. What do you got next? All right, for my final selection, I'm going back to Bobby Brown and the album "Don't Be Cruel," and I'm going with the song "My Prerogative." They say I'm crazy. I really don't care. That's my prerogative. They say I'm nasty, but I don't give a damn. Getting girls is how I live. Some nasty questions. Why am I so real? But they don't understand me. I really don't know the deal about a brother. Trying hard to make it right. Not long ago, before I win this fight. The way that I want to live It's my prerogative I can do just what I feel It's my prerogative Nobody can tell me what to do It's my prerogative Cause what I'm doing, I'm doing for you now Alright, uh, you. I mean we talked a little bit about this And you mentioned this a lot up front And I want to come back to it that I knew of Bobby as the bad boy And I think by the time I heard him Like I, I prob- probably the only thing that I did know about him was that 
he used to be in the Boy Band New Edition and he was kicked out or fired or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, he or, was fired. Or maybe he quit. You know, I, probably at the time, I probably thought he quit or he left. Maybe maybe he was fired, but I just knew there was some sort of bad blood and it was because he was the bad boy. He was kind of yeah. like, you know, he, he had that rep. So when I heard this song, I thought that this was a, a, a sort of a very sort of provocative, upfront sort of strutting attitude song that was all like he's he's owning it he's embracing the bad boy nature and you know he's he's just gonna make that his his thing and you don't have any right to judge him you know get the hell out of here and just it was all like just this this sort of energy and this embracing of a sort of bad boy villain motif and everything like that and getting it back to the basketball thing and something else that you know we mentioned how michael jordan was the good guy and the hero of the nba and charles barkley was the black hat he was the villain and he had his own campaign with the i am not a role model um, type yeah. of thing and everything and i was like that's that's what bobby brown is doing with this song you know yes yeah, just because I, I play basketball doesn't mean i should raise your kids yeah. <laughs> that was charles yeah um, and I didn't know what prerogative meant, but I just knew like the, <laughs> the attitude of the song and everything. It was just like, hey, some people still don't know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah. He he does his own thing. He walks his own way, and you can't judge him. And and you know, like the the rest of the guys, Ronnie and and Ricky and Michael and Ralph, they're just holding him back. And everything is just you know, get out of the way. He's doing his own thing, and I just like that attitude. There was something kind of like strutting about that. Um, and on top of that, it's just, it was a good song. It had like, a great beat, great dance, and it's a fun up-tempo pop song. Yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, I, you know, there were a lot of, obviously, these guys employed a lot of songwriters during their, mm-hmm. their time, you know, coming out of that. But I, if there was a song that I felt like Bobby Brown wrote <laughs> or co-authored himself, it would have been this one. Because I think, you know, everybody talking all the stuff about me, why don't, like, this came, like, this was more, this was by far, of anything off Don't Be Cruel, this was by far the most art imitates life kind of song. You know, and, and I, I genuinely felt this is him speaking his truth and coming out of, you know, being what he considered prison during his time in New Edition, you know, and just going off. And, and this was, he broke out. This This had, like... This had the dance ability of like MC Hammers. You can't touch this, but singing, you know, like this, this, this guy had swag. This guy had charisma. This guy had a look and a style. And he, like the, once I saw this song on MTV, I'm like, oh my God. Oh, and the headset mic. Remember the headset mic? <laughs> yes. Oh yep, my yep. God. A forgotten art form. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact, like, right in, uh, right up front in the beginning, he says, I don't need permission, make my own decisions. It sounds like he's sort of attacking, you know, the, the critics from whatever was going on with New Edition or something like that. Like, this is him stepping out from the shadow or the shackles yeah. of his old group. Um, and, like, they, they say, I'm crazy and I don't care, stuff like that. Just, yeah, just the attitude, the front is right there, and I like it. Oh yeah, it's 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 so empowering, and I think it's you know it's it's weird, and I uh, you know forgive me for making this weird segue, but Britney Spears covered it, mm-hmm. and I remember Britney Spears covered it at a time I think her version was released after she was accused of being like a mental case and being uh you know all the whatever stuff was going on in her personal life the paparazzi you know she shaved her head on camera because she was just absolutely for whatever reason you know there was yeah. just the paparazzi the media scrutiny TMZ 
this this culture that had developed about following every move of 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 celebritydom. I think it's very, it's, you know, again, it all goes back to this this period with Bobby Brown, and I think this song, absolutely, like I I mean, this is such a self empowering song that rings true today. Mm-hmm. Like the lyrics to this song are ageless, yep. if that makes any sense. Yeah. All right, bring it home. What is our final track for the episode? All right, so I purposely saved this for my last track, and this is not technically a new edition song. It appeared on the Belle Biv DeVoe remix album that I've aforementioned a bunch of times, but it does feature all six members of New Edition, and it was the first time all six members of New Edition got together before an official reunion. And this is my favorite song out of any splinter or tree branch of the New Edition family tree. It is Word to the Mother off of Belbiv DeVoe's WBBD Boots It. favorite dance track from anything that anybody from new edition has ever done it's my favorite track from anything ralph did anything bobby brown did anything belbert devoe did anything johnny gill did this came out at a time i remember i got this album my freshman year of college i was i'm hanging out with all the all the brothers from the football team and the from the baseball team and i'm surrounded by athletes and we're playing dance music and we're choreographing dance routines in our dorms and going out to the clubs and going like this was this was a lifestyle thing but there was something about this song when all the key components it was like you know when they, when they say the stars aligned kind of mm-hmm. thing like that phrase is used in like culture this literally kind of and i don't throw that term away loosely this literally was like when the stars aligned it was the you know everybody at this point thought there was no way anybody from New Edition could get back together. The bad blood was so deep and the scars were so deep, they could never reform. And this is years before they actually did try a reunion in 96. This was like 91, 92. But on Belbiv DeVoe's remix album, somehow they corralled Bobby Brown and Ralph Tresvant and Johnny Gill to come and do parts for the song. And they all expose their strengths. It's the most danceable track on the album. It's the most catchy in terms of melody. Everybody's got their part. Everybody's equally shared. It's not like a new edition song from the early albums where Ralph, Tre- Ralph Tresvant sang everything and the band just kind of sang back up. Everybody shines in this song. Everybody shines. And I remember the video and it was them walking through a neighborhood and there was something about just, I I can't tell you. I mean, I literally, I have, I have a mental vision of the video that will never leave me. And for whatever reason, 
and I can't figure out why, this was the most impactful song that anybody from New Edition ever did. When I heard this, I, th- I, I think I probably first heard it during a pra- oh, weightlifting session or a practice session during spring ball or something like that. And it was just like, oh my God, everything energized about me. I wanted to lift harder. I wanted to run faster. I wanted to dance. I wanted to kick step with my boys. You know, I wanted like everything just, oh my God, if you haven't heard this song, if you, you know, forget about everything we've said so far in this podcast so far, go listen to Words of the Mother. If you want to get the gist of New Edition, because it's got the harmonies of the boy band, the hardcore cutting edge of the rap guys, and the, and the personalities of the individuals. It's got them all. So that's where I'm going to leave it off. I wish I had more to say about the song. After that. <laughs> you don't need to. Mic drop. There you go. Yeah, that's probably the best way to say it. I was like, ditto. <laughs> ditto, yeah. All right. Well, honestly, that's, that's perfect. That's, that's about all I got. I mean, this was a fun podcast for us to do because it – I, I hope what it shows our listeners is that our musical influences are much more diverse than they think. It's not, we, you know, we're not just solely influenced by the, the folk music our dad influenced by, and we're not solely influenced by the grunge rock bands of the 90s that we grew up with and stuff like that. You know, we're kind of all over the map. I draw influences, both melodic or lyric or whatever. I draw influences from everybody. And there was a very, very dominant part of my life in the 90s when I was way into athletics, way into basketball, way into the Bulls championship run. And the new edition and the spinoff of their family tree. And then it branched off, like you said, you know, it exposed us to the 2020 Tonys of the world mm-hmm. and, you know, color me bads and all these, you know, it, it exposed us to a lot more of 90s New Jack Swing. But these guys were the founders of it. And I, I got to be honest with you, deciding to do this podcast and then reminiscing about these songs and cultivating a playlist of what, what I was going to talk about was a trip down memory lane that I don't regret. And this was a lot of fun. As, as they say, we got country and Western here. Yeah, we got country and Western. Yeah. You know, I mean, next we'll, we'll go off into the black boxes and D-Light and all the other <laughs> 90s, you know, Lisa Stansfield and stuff like that. But, but honestly, like I looked at my 90s dance playlist and I would say 80% was some variation or spinoff of New Edition. So, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. This was a lot of fun to go back in time and revisit some musical influences that we don't talk about a whole lot, but God damn, they're prevalent and they're long lasting. And I'm excited because you've exposed me to stories about your influences and that I didn't realize. Like some of the stuff you shared tonight, I've never heard before. And that's why I love doing this. Well, it's been under court seal for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Under lock and key. And this will lead us to the next podcast we'll do, which is the new kids on the block. Maury stars next group. (laughs) Will that be next week? You have to wait and see listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Don't answer yet. (laughs) We are one. Fire and water.
Firewater Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Fire and Water Records can also be found on Spotify. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this show but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to Apple Music or Apple Podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for Fire and Water Records. Every review helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. to the mother.